0: Let us pray. Our most eternal and everlasting Father, King of kings and Lord of lords, you are an awesome God, very patient with us. You are a faithful Father. It is a great privilege that you chose us as your children. We know that the human mind cannot comprehend the love that you displayed in sending your son, Jesus Christ. Nor can we understand his sacrifice fully on this planet. But in all, we know that you are a great God. We know that you are the omnipotent God. We know that you are the, God. You are the omniperspective God. The Omniscient God, we praise you, we thank you. We have gathered this morning in obedience to your instruction that we should do so, especially as we see the evil days draw near. Lord, we know we are in tumultuous times, but our consolation and comfort is that underneath are the everlasting arm that sustains us. For these, we gather with confidence, without fear, knowing. You are in absolute control of all things, and so as we have gathered this morning to study a portion of your word, we request that God, the Holy Spirit, the perfect communicator, will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is a request in Christ's name, Amen. We're in First Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, up to chapter 11, verse 1. Again he reads, Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. It's anything sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to eat, uh, a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered and sacrifice," then do not eat it. both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake, The the other man's conscience I mean not yours For why should my freedom be judged By another's conscience If I take part in the meal With thankfulness Why am I denounced Because of something I thank God for So Whether you eat Or drink Or whatever you do Do it all For the glory of God Do not cause anyone to stumble Whether Jews, Greeks or the church of God Even as I try to please everybody In every way For I am not seeking my own good But the good of many So that they may be saved Follow my example As I follow the example of Christ Now the message of this Because we're dealing with uh, the believers' freedom in Christ. So the message of this section that we started in our last study, we stated the message which is that you use use your freedom in Christ in such a way to advance the spiritual needs of others. Now we indicated, we will expound on this message based on three responsibilities That you have as a believer Pertaining the concept Of freedom you have in Christ Given in the passage we are studying Now the first responsibility You have as a believer Derived from our passage is this You should Understand That not everything You have right to do Helps others spiritually but you are required To seek The good of others. We also indicated that this responsibility involves two parts, or two elements. The first part is understanding that not everything you have right to do helps others spiritually. Now this first part is derived from verse 23, but there is a second part to this responsibility Given in verse 24 So it is with this that we begin our study this morning The second part then Or element of the first responsibility Is that you are required to seek the good of others Now one of the things that before we get into What we are going to study this morning Is one of those things that will challenge us To realize that the Christian is superior to any other person on this planet. Not because of who we are on on a physical level, but because of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And that Holy Spirit means we are told to do things that no human being on this planet has the capacity of doing. And this is what we see this morning. So, this is what we have to deal with in this uh, element, the second element of our first responsibility which is given in verse 24. Look at what it says. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Now, you have to admit, that doesn't sound right from the human perspective. But we'll see. Now, literally, though, the Greek reads, No one lets seek. Well, we can say his own thing, but really the, the Greek says be uh, of himself. But the thing of the other person. Now, the literal Greek uh, that I gave you reveals that the word good in an IV does not appear in the Greek text. But it is an interpretative translation. That is found in many of our English versions, while others, of course, do not use that word. We will deal with this issue later on. Now the action required in the second element of the first responsibility is found in the word sick. Because we say seek, no one should seek. So that's the issue, that's the word seek, that's the main action. The word seek is translated from a Greek verb that may mean to look for or to seek in order to find. It may mean to strive, to try to obtain, or to desire even to wish for. The word may mean to request, to demand, or to ask for. As the Apostle Paul used the word to justify the threat of punishing the offenders in Corinth during his visit. In 2nd Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 3. 2nd Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 3. It is, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, He's not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. So here, the Greek word is demanding. Now, in our passage of 1 Corinthians ten twenty-four, it is used in the sense of to seek, or, I mean, with the meaning to seek, in the sense of to strive for one's own advantage. To strive for one's own advantage. Now the degree then reveals that the action of seeking, as we have explained, is something that is to be repeated. In effect, what the believer is instructed not to do, in the sentence nobody, should seek his own good, is one that is to be repeated. Repeated. Now, again, every now and then I have to stop to remind us this, because of where we find ourselves. Uh, by that I mean, the law has graciously allowed us to study his word more than most people do. So that means it carries a lot of responsibility with it. Which means you are not like every other believer. That is to say, you can hear this and say, glad to your own perils. That's where I can say it. Because you'll be held at a higher level than those who don't hear it. It doesn't mean God leaves them alone. I'm talking about this planet. But for sure, when those who know, who have had, ignore, their judgment is severer on this planet. That's what the Bible tells us. So what I'm saying is, what we're saying, be sure you pay attention, not just to hear it, but to actually make a move to apply it. In your daily living. So that is the sense. Of this. Being repeated. So it is not something. That one does one. And and is done with. No we are to repeat the instruction. Again and again. So long as we are on this planet. There is no vacation. When it comes. To the word of God. So we cannot take a break. From the action of not seeking. What is forbidden to us? So, what is the believer not to seek? What is it? The answer in the NIV and many of our English versions is given in that phrase: "his own good." Now, in our literal translation of the Greek, really, is something like "the of himself," "the of himself." Now the issue is really how to translate the Greek phrase to make sense in the English. Now the translators of the NIV translated a similar Greek phrase with the phrase his own interest. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 21. Same Greek phrase. They, Instead of uh, his own good, he had to use the word interest. Philippians chapter 2 verse 21 reads, For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now it's probably because the Greek phrase may be interpreted with the meaning interest. That some of our English versions, such as the today's English version and the Revised English Bible, they use the phrase, to your own interest, in their translation of our passage of study of 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Instead of good, they use it, to your own interest. Now, the New Revised Standard Version and the Common English Bible used the phrase, your own advantage. In other words, do not seek your own advantage. That's the way they translated it. Now, the various ways, other English versions translated the Greek phrase that literally reads, The of himself, implied that the word good, used in the anive, is a good one. That captures the various words that used to translate the Greek phrase that we are considering in the English. Now it is true that the phrase that literally reads, the of himself, should be uh, understood as referring to one's good or one's interest that we are instructed not to seek. But the literal phrase the of himself reminds us of the kind of things humans seek. For self that we should understand to obey the instruction nobody should seek his own good but the good of others the literal uh, Greek forces or uh, enables us to dive into what is he really talking about see all humans because see the Greek says the of himself the of himself now we know this all humans seek Material things for their benefit, as the Lord Jesus implied in his Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew, chapter 6, verse 32. Matthew, chapter 6, verse 32. And hold on to Matthew. Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 32, reads, It is, for the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. See, the sentence, the uh, the pagans run after these things, is more literally, the pagans seek after all these things. Now pagans here refer to unbelievers, but that does not mean that believers do not seek what is describing the phrase all these things. For if the believers, or if believers are not capable of seeking the same things that unbelievers seek, the law would not have given the command not to do so. That aside, what humans seek after in the context are material things that are necessary for our existence and comfort in this planet. As we find, really, in the preceding verse, look at verse 31, not Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 31. It is, so do you know what is saying? What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? No, those are material things. So, all humans, whether we recognize it or not, seek honor or glory or praise for ourselves. So, here we move now. We all seek material things. Now, what's the next thing we all seek? That's what I I, I just gave you. We seek honor, glory. Of praise. So I'm saying that we all have the tendency. I know there are a lot of people who are so self righteous. When I say some of this, they don't concern me. If you're human, it concerns you. So I'm saying that we all have the tendency to seek human approval in one form or another. Other sometimes that may be unconsciously sought. Now, one of the good things about studying the way we do is the Holy Spirit leads us to uh, go into depths to remove all the surface things where people pat themselves at the back because they don't know any better. They think they're just, oh, I'm a fine Christian. I'm doing well. Until we start peeling off those surface things. And you come below it and say, oh, I'm not where I, th- I thought I was supposed to be. So this is one of those things. Now, it is because we humans are, to, uh, are prone to seek or to seeking approval or praise from others that the Lord Jesus conveys that during his earthly ministry, he did not seek his own glory, but the Father did, as we read in John chapter 8, verse 50. And uh, put your marker, or whatever you used to put, put your marker in that John. Because after that, I'll go to one passage and come right back to the Gospel of John. John chapter 8, verse 50. This is what the Lord says. I'm not seeking glory. I'm not seeking glory for myself. But there is one who seeks it. And he is the judge. So the sentence, I am not seeking glory for myself, according to the United Bible Society handbook, which suggests a a way to translate many uh, Greek or Hebrew into various languages. Now, according to them, this may be translated something like, I am not trying to cause myself to be praised. Or, it could also be translated, I am not seeking to have people praise me. Now, the Lord wouldn't say that if we humans didn't do that. Anyway, does the Lord Jesus, while on this planet, stated he was not looking for human praise. Implying that we humans seek praise or honor. Now, Apostle Paul made similar statements of the Lord Jesus in his epistle to the Thessalonians in First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 6 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 6 it is we were not looking for praise from men, nor from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. So here is something that the Lord in the sense said, that Paul is saying in a different way. Now it is easy then for, all, for us as believers to claim that we do not seek human praise or approval. Some of you say, I'm, I'm such a simple person. Huh? I don't really care. I don't care about people's praise or whatever approval. No, it's not my thing." Yeah, really. Are you? Well, listen, let me deflect you immediately so you answer the question if you are really what you think you're claiming. So let me put it in a, a way then that will help us to recognize that either Consciously or unconsciously, we seek human praise or approval. Let me show it to you in a very simple way. Now the way we know this is our reluctance to go against the popular view or opinion that is not based on the scripture. That if you have that, you are, you don't want to go against the grain. It's something that the Bible doesn't in those, and you don't want to go against the grain Then you are, doing, you are concerned with Approval on one way or the other So whenever we are afraid To go Against the culture When it is contrary to the scripture It is often because We want Human praise Or approval In other words you want people to approve you You want human praise That's why You know this is not correct, because it doesn't line up with the scripture. Yet you still want to do it. Why? You want human praise. You want human approval. So let me illustrate this from the scripture, from what happened in the time of the Lord Jesus. The scripture tells us that some of the Jewish leaders believed in Christ, but because of love for human praise, They will not confess their faith in him as we read now. Go back to John, John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. John chapter 12, John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. It is yet at the same time many, even among the leaders, believed in him, him Christ of course. But because of the Pharisees they would not confess their faith, for fear they will be put out of the synagogue. That's you see, they were human approval. So they wouldn't tell, you know, yeah we believe in him. They will say that. Verse 43 says, For they love, look at the reason here, for they love praise from men more than praise from God. Now, that is, I mean, you may try to sweeten it to yourself and justify it. That's just sound like us. No matter what we say, many times we really prefer human praise and we prefer God's praise. The issue is whenever you want to please human instead of God. That's, that's just the basic explanation. That you want more of human approval or praise. But if you want God's approval, you could care less What the rest of the world think about you. Now I know it's hard for to uh, get across to us. That we should not live here just so we impress people. So we get the approval. Because in the end, it doesn't even matter. The one that matters is God's approval. Because he's the one that is going to reward you in eternal state. You're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter whether somebody told you what a wonderful believer you are. Or whatever they did. It's, what, what does the Lord say. And that's what we should be concerned with. Now it's easy, again, for us to read the clause for the love praise from men more than the praise from God and think that it does not apply to us now this may be true of some but not our believers, some now for the moment for the moment we do not understand or we do not stand firm to that what we believe because of others the implication is that we want human praise or approval rather than God's. So my point is that even as believers, we may consciously or unconsciously seek human praise that without doubt all unbelievers seek. That, that's just what unbelievers do. But we believers are also prone to doing that. And that's what we're looking at. So that's something you see, I've identified. We all want the material things. We all want some form of approval or praise from humans. That we all want. Now a third, another thing many humans seek though, is what I call the spiritual. In the sense of having right relationship with God. Humans seek that. Now it is because of this that we have so many religions on this planet, in which people seek to live with God forever. There people have that. I and mean, you know, people say, "Well, I don't believe in any religion." Yeah, you, when once a person say that, you say, "Yeah, you believe in one because you listen to Satan. That's a religion." You believe? I mean, that just, there's no, no literal person on this planet. But the point, though, is that people, they really want to have something to do with God. And that's innate you in know so to say. So those who accept that there is something beyond the grave usually seek a right relationship with God. This is implied in what Apostle Paul stated in Galatians Chapter 2, verse 17. Galatians. Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 17. It is, If while we seek To be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. See, to seek to be justified is to seek to be in good standing with God. Now, this is what most uh, religious people do. Only that they think that they could obtain it through their works without faith in Christ. Something that is impossible. But in terms of what people want, a whole lot of people want to be in good standing with God. So the three things we identified with humans seek that are, again, material, praise or honor, and Right relationship with God enables them to understand the instruction of First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. We're starting. Look at that command again. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Now, I've listed three things we all seek. So, based on that, Go, listen again, he said, nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Now on the surface reading, this instruction is difficult. Since it implies that you should not seek material things or spiritual things for yourself, but of that of others. Now this could not really be what the Holy Spirit meant to convey Now, the sense of the instruction is that we should not seek these things at the expense of others. That's the sense. It's not that you don't seek them at the expense of others. In other words, you are not to seek things that are good for you, while you ignore what is good for others. That's the the essence. Now, this sense of the instruction... In my opinion, is captured by the the passion translation. There's an English version they call it passion translation. The way they rendered first Corinthians chapter ten verse twenty four is intriguing because it explains what I've just said to you. Look at how they rendered it. So don't always seek what is best for you at the expense of another. That's the way they translated. I thought that was perfect. That was that captured what I believe the Holy Spirit was conveyed through the Apostle Paul. Just, God is not telling you don't you know don't don't seek for material blessing for you. He doesn't say that. Or He's not saying don't be uh, wanting to have a better relationship with me. No, he's not saying that. He doesn't really want us to get involved with human praises. But the point is. When it comes to those things that are beneficial, it's concerned we don't push others aside in order to get what we want. Anyway, so our concern is really on how to carry out the instruction given in the verse world studying. One of the things that I believe by the Holy Spirit we try to do in this congregation from this pulpit is this. It's one thing to tell you don't do this. But it's another thing to tell you. How you go about doing it? Or not do it? So that is a, a thing that in my judgment, many of us pastors, kind of, you know, go and say, oh, uh, you know, do this, do that, or be devoted to Christ. And that's all. But it doesn't tell us How do we do that? What is the practical way of going about it? So we ask them, how do we comply with instruction of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 24. Again it says, nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Now in answering this question, how we go about it, we should recognize that we can satisfy a requirement of some kind, either by what we do or what we should avoid. What we do or what we avoid. That's what, when we can... Satisfies a particular requirement. So, this means that we can comply with this instruction nobody should seek his own good but the good of others. We can comply or we can satisfy it either, I mean, both negatively and positively. So, we begin with how we can comply with this instruction negatively or by what we avoid this is how we do it. Negatively, the first thing we should avoid to comply with instruction, nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others is selfish ambition. That's the one thing we do. We have to avoid selfish ambition. That's one practical way to do it. Avoiding selfish ambition. Now, we mean that if we are going to think of benefiting others or do things that will be of, of help to them. We should avoid selfish ambition as the Holy Spirit instructs to Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 It is reads do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility consider others better than yourselves so the instruction of this verse of Philippians two verse three parallels the instruction of First Corinthians 10 verse 24 that we are considering, since it demands of us to act in humility as we consider others better than ourselves. Now if we consider others better than ourselves, we will certainly do things that will help others. Now this aside Our focus for the moment is on the negative thing a believer should avoid in order to ensure the person seeks the good or the interest of others. Thus, our focus in Philippians 2 verse 3 is with the phrase, selfish ambition, selfish ambition, although we will return to this passage later on in this study, this Today we'll come back to this uh, Philippians two three. But the question is, what is selfish ambition? What is it? Do you know what it is? You guilty of it? Well, you can't be guilty unless you know what it is. Anyway, so to answer this question, we begin by noting that the expression selfish ambition is translated from a Greek word. Which means selfish or selfish ambition. All right. Now the the development of this of the Greek word translated uh, selfish ambition is an interesting one. See the the word was derived from a Greek word that means to conduct oneself as a hired laborer. Then the word uh, came to mean the manner, attitude, or disposition of the day laborer now generally if you those of you who run businesses you know if you hire somebody to do something a hired laborer does not have the same interest like you do what they're interested is what am I to do fill up the time get out here they're not really too concerned about what they're doing as much as you know if you do the owner you, you know that's your thing so you have to uh, be very ready for it So, that's the way this word uh, continued to develop. Now, before the New Testament times and this word was found in Aristotle, where it demonstrates a self-seeking pursuit of political office by uh, any unfair means. That's how the word was used later on, you know, someone who wants to get elected. They can lie, they can do anything, just take it like that. <laughs> That's the way the word is used. Now it is used to describe halots or prostitutes who demean themselves with their only interest being to gain their own advantage. Now a major sense of this then is that there is emphasis on attitude or desire To put oneself forward. That's part of the word. You put yourself forward. Doesn't selfish ambition is a strong drive for personal success without moral inhibitions. Again, that it's a strong desire or a strong drive for personal success without moral inhibitions, you know, no, restrictions. Now we should be careful though to understand the, uh, the distinction between selfish ambition and ambition as really as a concept. See, ambition is a strong desire to do or achieve something. That's ambition. A strong desire to do or achieve something. Now, a synonym, though, for ambition is the word aspiration. Aspiration, which is a striving after something higher or better. Now, the does we should understand that ambition or Aspiration is not wrong as a concept. It's not wrong. This we can demonstrate by what the Holy Spirit, through Apostle Paul, rega- uh, said regarding the office of an overseer. In a local church, or the office of a pastor, really today, in First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. First Timothy, chapter 3, verse 1. First Timothy, chapter 3, verse 1. It is, here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone says his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. A noble task. Now you see the clause of the NIV, if anyone says his heart on being an overseer, is translated in some of our English versions, such as the New American Standard Bible and the New English translation this way. This way they translated. If someone aspires to the office of overseer. If someone aspires. In other words, if you have the desire, if you aspire to be a pastor, you say you are aspiring some noble task. And you see that's it's a task. Because you don't see that way. Anyway, so in fact then since aspiration is a synonym for ambition, there cannot be anything really wrong With having ambition or aspiration. In fact, a person who does not aspire to be better in life will probably live an unenjoyable life. In other words, you must continue to aspire to improve yourself, to be better in whatever it is. It just that it has to be guided. If you're not having that, you know, people, you find a lot of people, they, don't, they are not motivated, they are just not satisfied. Now, those kind of people can hardly really enjoy their life on this planet. There's just something to be said about wanting to be better in whatever. So, here it goes, of course, you can see how it applies. If you want to be a stronger believer, spiritually, if you want to be more mature today than you were yesterday, what do you do? You continue to there. Get the word of God because you are staring. It's an ambition. Some of you, you know, some Christians, they're satisfied. Well, I go to some church on Sunday morning. If there are those who have Bible studies on Wednesday during the week, they say, Yeah, I go to Bible study too. Is that the end of the story? No, that's just the beginning. But you've got to have that what I call it, that yawning. That I want to improve or be better as a believer today than I was yesterday. If you don't have that, I'm afraid to tell you, you're not going to make much progress in your spiritual life. Consequently, you arrive in heaven, saved of course. But that's all all I need to get there. Hence, really what we're, we're not saying that you should not aspire then. But ambition or aspiration can be wrong under certain conditions. That's the issue. Nothing wrong with it. You must have it. But they can be wrong under certain conditions or or, uh, situations. Now recall that our Greek word translated selfish ambition in Philippians 2 verse 3 was use of a person who stops at nothing. In gaining the individual's objective. Remember I told you, it's, it's a word that's used for politicians. And you know that just, it hasn't changed. If they want to deceive themselves, it hasn't changed. All those who go into office, or those who run for office, whatever it is, they are willing to do any and everything to win. That's, that's just fact. I mean, again, people like to be, they don't want to look at bad, but they want to look at human beings. Look at the Bible. The Bible tells us that it just, it just, it's just just human nature, you know, to win at all price, and that is the thing that this word uh, translated selfish ambition actually is a, a Greek word, Eritia. aretia. Anyway, this word again is a word used to describe somebody willing to gain anything, whatever it is, without concern for what is right or wrong. Hence, it is this characteristic of being willing to gain one's goal without any concern for what is right that makes ambition wrong or selfish. When you want to gain whatever it is without concern for what is right or wrong, that's when ambition becomes wrong. So we are saying that if you are willing to achieve your aspiration or goal with no regard to your spiritual life and with no regard to the word of God then you have become guilty of selfish ambition. Now our session is really supported by what the Holy Spirit gave through James in James chapter 3 verse 16. James Chapter three, verse sixteen. James Chapter three, verse sixteen. It is for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice so the point that we need to observe is that James says that selfish ambition leads to every evil practice this means that one that has neither morals nor standards in what the person does so long as the individual achieves the individual's goal, then that's the person in selfish ambition. Hence, such ambition is wrong or sinful. So we have considered what selfish ambition is. And so you may wonder, how is it, how its understanding has in complying with the command or the instruction of 1 Corinthians 10:24, we're where it says, "Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others." Well, if you avoid selfish ambition, it will enable you to be concerned not only for your own welfare, but that of others, especially fellow believers. In effect. If you are not so occupied with achieving your goal, your own goal, at the exclusion of the word of God, you will act in a way that will benefit others, again especially fellow believers. So anyway, the first thing then, you should avoid to comply with instruction. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others is selfish ambition. That's the first thing you avoid. The second thing, you should avoid to comply with instruction. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others is avoid being a stumbling block to any believer. Avoid being a stumbling block to another believer. Now the Holy Spirit, through Apostle Paul, had previously commanded believers to who consider themselves to be spiritually strong, not to be stumbling block to weaker believers, as we've already started in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It is, be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So the apostle also declared that he does not put stumbling block before other believers, as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 3 it is we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry would not be discredited so Apostle Paul stated that he and the other apostles would not dare to put stumbling block before others, knowing the punishment that the Lord Jesus indicated He would bring on anyone that puts a stumbling block before believers, as we read in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. Matthew. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 6. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 6. It is, But if anyone causes one of these little ones as believers, who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him To have a large millstone hung around his neck. And to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now a stumbling block is that which causes someone to sin. That's what a stumbling block is. Or that which provides an occasion for someone to sin. Consequently to avoid being a stumbling block to another person is to avoid anything that will cause that individual to sin. You avoid it. So this requires that you should watch what you say or what you do before others. Now the psalmist recognized the importance of watching what comes out of his mouth that he declared that in Psalm 39 verse 1 Psalm 39 verse 1 Psalms Psalms chapter 39 verse 1 It is, I said, I will wash my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muscle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. Think about it is. A muscle is what you put on an animal so they don't open their mouth. So that's why he say, I will put a muscle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. In other words, a phrase translation is, you'll be much more conscious of what you say when unbelievers are around you. Much, much more conscious. Because, sure, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be careful every time. See, a fellow believer may give you a pass, so to say. They say, oh yeah, I understand the sinful nature took over instead of the Holy Spirit. An unbeliever doesn't think in those terms. Or he thinks, or she thinks, oh yeah, these are what we call themselves Christians, don't they? Look at what they're doing. That's all they know. That's why when he say, I will put muscle over my mouth before an unbeliever, it's because of the impact, the witness. That's why he says that. So, we often sin, though, by what we say, and we can also also, uh, lead others to sin by what comes out of our mouth. Now, to ensure you do not cause another believer to sin, you should watch the advice you give. In effect, you should be careful that you do not become Satan's agent to cause a believer to sin. By promoting a viewpoint or a human uh, point of view or thought that conflicts with the divine plan. Now this point is derived from the rebuke of our Lord Jesus to Peter. When he taught that he was uh, saying the right thing in protesting the Lord Jesus statement of dying for our sins. As recorded in Matthew chapter 16 verses Uh, 21 through 23 Matthew Matthew chapter 16 verses 21 through 23 it is from that time on Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer Many things at the hand of the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God than the things of men. He thought he was right, right? He was thought he was concerned. But he was way, way off. So the, rebuke, uh, the Lord rebuke Peter of being a stumbling block, implying that he was uh, saying something that if followed, will be contrary to the will of God. Now, an application of our Lord's response is that we should be careful That we do not advise someone or say something to someone that will cause the person to sin against God. For example, if your advice to another believer causes that believer to live in fear or to act in fear instead of faith, you have become a stumbling block and your advice has caused that believer to sin. So it is not only what you say, your action may be also a stumbling block to another believer. Now we have an illustration of this kind of action from the same apostle Peter. Peter acted in a way that will encourage other believers to segregate themselves from fellow believers, from which for which of course Apostle Paul rebuked him. According to Galatians. Chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. Galatians. Ah, Looking at time, I think we just take a break here. And after the Lord's Supper, we'll continue. Uh, So, be sure to get your elements during break.